All right, well, good morning, brothers and sisters, again. And if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 today. We're going to just continue on our series of uh, the numbers. And it's good to see so many of you uh, here with us on this 8 a.m. service. Oh, so, wow. Uh, must be something happening later on today. I don't know. Uh, but uh, actually, <laughs> no, maybe you don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, the important thing is you're all here. And we're ready to worship the Lord and open up his book and find out uh, what the Lord would have to say to us. Numbers chapter 13. Oh boy, we are cruising through and we come to this very, uh, Numbers 13 and 14 really are a, a section that belong together, but it's such a, it's, it's they're lengthy chapters, so I decided to break them up into two parts. And so they really are meant to be read together and studied together. Uh, so I'm going to kind of do part one today, part two next time, I guess. But uh, Numbers chapter 13 is our focus. Right, if you kind of, when I leave my office every uh, Sunday morning and I, I come out, right by my door there's a little plaque, uh, a plaque that basically has a verse, it's the verse of 2 Corinthians 5, 7, and it says simply very shortly, very briefly, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And I look at that when I walk out here to preach the word of God to you because I, I desire to walk by faith. And that means in everything that I do, I want to walk by faith, by trusting in the Lord and what the God does, what, what God has promised. And that walking me includes all everything that I do, and includes particularly what I do here in the pulpit, that I want to preach by faith and not by sight. Uh, I don't want to depend upon just the notes that I've written. I don't want to depend upon my nice PowerPoint. I don't want to depend upon my cleverness or my wittiness of words, my alliteration skills, or my ability to be dynamic or remove my hands. I, I don't really want to be dependent upon preach by, by the things that are of my own self. But I want to preach by faith, by the, because in the, in the promises, believing the promises of God uh, that... Uh, that I, pro- that I proclaim God's word in the, in the power of the Spirit with full conviction, um, that I would proclaim God's word in a way that, is, uh, that would go forth in, uh, so that we would be worshiping in spirit and truth, that uh, would proclaim God's word in the, in the power of the Spirit so that so the same spirit that works through me is the same spirit that works through you, that he will do the work in your hearts, taking God's word, taking the small bits of things that I might say from God's word that will, that will just, you'll, you'll, that will grip you. And it's not because of me, but it's because of the spirit. And so this is for you. And that you will hold on to that truth and, and draw near to it and, and let it comfort you and let it transform you because that's the kind of growth and that's the kind of change that, is, that God does and that's the best kind of change. So we, we walk by faith and not by sight. We preach by faith and not by sight uh, as well. But it's a verse perhaps that many of you have memorized. It's a popular verse because it reminds us that our life on earth is, guided, is to be guided by what or rather even who we believe as opposed to what we see before us. Oftentimes, as finite and fallen creatures, we respond to what we see before us, or our own observations, our own thoughts about our situation, instead of focusing on God himself, or rather God's thoughts or God's observations of any particular situation. We forget to focus on God's word and what he has promised. 
It is our sinful nature that we do this. It's because of our sinful nature that we tend to forget what God's word says. And it's our sinful nature that leads us to think that we know better, that we can trust our eyes more than we trust God. Like Eve in the garden, the fruit looked good, and so she ate it. Never mind that God said not to. Like Saul with the offering at Gilgal, 1 Samuel 13, the people were scattering. The enemy was approaching. God needed to be called upon, and so he offered the offering. Never mind that God's law forbade any non-Levite from offering it. See, people see what is before them, and we do the same. We, we think our own thoughts often apart from God, and so that often when we do that, that often leads us to sin. We, we do the things and we think the things that God does not want us to do. God has warned us not to do. In today's passage, we will see this same mistake happen to the nation of Israel. Uh, and it will be, it is recorded for us as an example it's recorded as an example for the second generation. It's recorded as an example for every generation of God's people, including our generation today. In the book of Numbers, just as a little background for those of you that have been, are just joining us today, they have been led by the Lord out of slavery in Egypt, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They've been set free from the, by, through, from the, by the Lord through Moses. They've been led across the, the Red Sea delivered from Pharaoh, led all the way to Mount Sinai where they received the law. Across from from Mount Sinai, they have wandered through the wilderness all the way to the very edge of the promised land, which we are now at in Numbers chapter 13. The Lord has been with them the whole time, visibly through a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. He He had given them instructions to build a tabernacle where his glory would dwell. God has been with them, not only in, even and very visibly for, with them. He has provided for them both physically, food, water. He's provided for them spiritually, his law. He has given them all that they needed, and he has been with them all throughout. By day, by night, they have been blessed as the people of God. They have known his protection. They've known his provision. They've known his peace. Of course, they complained, and we've seen that already, and they'll continue to complain, as we do. Yet in our passage today, as well as next week, we see despite the blessings of God upon the people of God, despite bringing them to the very cusp of the very land which he has promised to Abraham and his descendants, to these very people he has just done all that for, they, as a nation, will fail to walk by faith. And they're going to walk by sight. They're not going to trust the Lord. We are, I think we all know this story, if you've known your Bible stories. But it's a story that repeats itself throughout history too often in, in the lives of other people, but especially in the lives of each of us, right? We walk by sight and not by faith. Today's pastor serves to warn God's people then of how easy it is, how susceptible we are to walk by sight and not by faith. As an outline, we're going to look at three observations from the spying out of the land. Three observations from the spying out of the land that remind God's people to walk by faith and not by sight. Okay. 
So it's a story. Hopefully, we'll, um, as we walk through it, it'll just bring, bring out some observations and uh, that will encourage our souls to walk by faith and not by sight. First of all, in our first observation, we're going to look at in verses 1 to 16, and that is the spies. We're going to observe the spies' commission. The commission of the spies to go for the commissioning of these spies uh, that were chosen, uh, that are chosen. Chapter Numbers, chapter 13, verses 1 through 16. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. These then were their names, from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zechur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodai, from the tribe of Joseph, from the tri- uh, from the tribe of Joseph, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali, from the tribe of <clears throat> Asher, Sether, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Wolf, see, uh, from the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Maki. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. But Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. According to the last verse of chapter 12, the nation of Israel is camped in what's known as the wilderness of Paran. The wilderness of Paran. And uh, I wish I'd had time to put up a map for you, but uh, I didn't get to today. But there's the wilderness of Paran is just, just on the, the, just south of the southernmost tip of the promised land. It's a wilderness region uh, south of Israel in what's known as the Sinai Peninsula. And in <clears throat> and from uh, verse 26, uh, later on in the chapter, we're going to gather that within Paran, the wilderness of Paran, they are at a particular location, a location called, uh, when I was a little kid, I, I memorized it and learned this and as Kadesh Barnea. And the name Kadesh or Kadesh Barnea means basically holy, holy or, or holy place, respectively. There uh, in Kadesh, of, uh, in the wilderness of Paran, the Lord spoke to Moses, we learn, and he instructed them, him, to send out men to spy out the land of Canaan. Now, note quite significantly how the Lord describes the land. He says, to spy out the land, it is the land which, quote, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. God makes clear to Israel that this land which he is sending them out to spy out, to check out, is the very land that he has promised to give to them. It is a land that he promised to Abraham in Genesis 12, 7, which we read uh, earlier in our call to worship to your descendants. I will give this land. The Lord had brought Israel of uh, 400 years of slavery through the wilderness to the cusp of this promised land. Now he instructs them to select men to go out and spy out this land. And while the emphasis, interestingly, here is on God is the one who instructs them to do so, it's worth noting that later on in Deuteronomy chapter 2, 
verse 22. When, when, God is, when Moses is basically recapping their history, he, he gives a slight additional information. In Deuteronomy 2, uh, chapter 2, 22, or actually maybe uh, chapter 1, 22, 23, I, I believe is what I have here. So I think I wrote that down correctly. Then Moses says this of that situ- this, this uh, instruction. Then all of you approached me and said, let us send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us word of the way by which we should go up and the cities which we shall enter. The thing pleased me, and I took 12 of your men, one man for each tribe. You, you see the difference there? It's slightly different. Here, God is the one giving the instruction, but in Deuteronomy 1, it's that the people asked first. They're the ones who initiated. And, and, and of course, there may, it's only an apparent conflict. It's the likely scenario happening is that the people initiated the request. They asked of Moses, who then inquired of the Lord with the request, and then who then gave instruction that we find here in Numbers chapter 13. Now, the people's reason in Deuteronomy <clears throat> was uh, for why they wanted to spy the land was so they could gather information on how to proceed, uh, how to enter the land, kind of just like a, and, and there was nothing necessarily wrong with scouting out the land if they were a, a military operation at heart, and every military operation, operation requires scouting out for information. Right? You want to know the terrain, you want to know the enemy's fortifications, their strengths, their weaknesses, you want to know what kind of opposition you're going to face, etc. And that's what the people wanted. They want to know what they were up against, as God had just put them in battle array, put them, said, these are your armies and these are your men. Uh, they want to know, well, who are we going to fight? And so they wanted to scout out the land. And that's what the people wanted, so they asked Moses, Moses asked the Lord. And the Lord accommodated their request, right? But the Lord, in accommodating the request, has a different purpose in it. His purposes are a bit different. And he, in, our junior, in Numbers 13, specifically asked Moses to choose a man from each of the 12 tribes. Now, they didn't suggest that. He suggested, he says, choose a man from each of the 12 tribes, and each man, notice, was to be a leader among the tribe. <clears throat> there were probably... Quite likely, in the nation of uh, 2 million people, 600,000 men, that there are probably <clears throat> far better scouts out there than these 12 men. But God wanted a leader from each tribe to scout out the land for themselves. They would act, they, these were leaders in their tribes, leading heads of the tribes of, of each Israel, would then serve to represent each tribe and, and together would represent the nation. They would scout out the land on behalf of their tribe and on behalf of the nation, and they would then come back and presumably lead each tribe, lead together the nation into uh, the promised land. This, these 12 men were basically an advanced party, and God is giving an opportunity for these men to basically to go and spy out, to understand what the land is about, and then to come back and then to lead their tribe and lead their people, lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. Twelve men are chosen, twelve tribes. Uh, among them, the two names that stand out to us today are, are going to be later, is prominent is Hosea, who is later on called Joshua by Moses, of the tribe of Ephraim. That would be, he was one of the largest tribes in that time. And the second one is Caleb. Uh, he will be the, uh, he'll speak a little later, and he, were, he comes from the tribe of Judah. 
And what we see here, and it's all kind of, and it's a principle that's illustrated. It's important, and it's important for the congregation of God's people to understand that if God's people are going to walk by faith, they must be led by leaders who will also walk by faith. People are not going to walk by faith generally if they don't see examples of leaders who will walk by faith as well. And that's quite common, but understandable. Just as uh, uh, if, if soldiers, for instance, are following a, a commander that is fearful, that is not willing to go into battle, uh, they're going to be fearful. They're not going to be willing to go into battle. They need courageous men, men who will lead them, and courageous women as well who will lead them into battle, who will be, uh, who, uh, who will be leaders in advancing. In the face of new and unforeseen circumstances and obstacles, leaders of God's people must be men who walk by faith as examples for the congregation. And it's true that what was true then is true still today because there are still dangers and obstacles that God's people, even as a church, we face as sojourners here on earth. I think many of you have probably heard of the news in, in Canada recently about uh, there's been some law that was passed there that really uh, put, made it very difficult for the, pre- the pastors and, and churches there to, 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 to preach against uh, uh, sexually immoral sins. And so, um, but yet... They have leaders who are praying that they would, for their leaders, that they would be men who walk by faith. As leaders here, we cannot be so afraid of our circumstances that we forget the promises of God. It's worth meditating upon that, fellow leaders. Certainly, there is wisdom in caution and care. But it cannot lead us down a path of forgetting or forsaking the promises of God. We must be men and women who hold on to the promise of God walking by faith than simply what we see before us, walking by sight. Now secondly, we move on. That's the first observation. There's a second observation we move on as we observe, make observations about the spies' mission. They've commissioned, and now what is their mission? Verses 17 through 26, we read about their commission. Let's read verse 17 to 20. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. Verse seventeen twenty are basically instructions for their mission. They're told to spy out the land of Canaan, right? Spy out. And I know when we hear in our English vocabulary, we hear the word spy, uh, it, can, it can be some kind of like, you know, a, a FBI, CIA, NSA kind of clandestine operations. You know, they're like guys wearing sunglasses and black hats, you know, they're kind of like trying to be hide and not be seen, but um, to do it sneakily almost. 
But the word, though it has that idea of, of spying out and looking for things, the word has a basic idea of careful examination. Really, this word, careful examination, you could, you could say it's scouts, but uh, it, it's, it means careful examination. Outside of numbers, so the numbers, this, this, ver, this verb to spy out, is, it's used mostly in numbers, more than half of the times are numbers. But the second most common use, book that uses it is the book of Ecclesiastes, which our pastor Ray has been preaching through. And three times in Ecclesiastes, this verb is used of Solomon's intense search for wisdom. He investigated, he, he explored, he exa- examined, he sought wisdom. So the spies in, in, in a similar vein are to carefully investigate, to examine, to explore to see for themselves, carefully examine the land of Canaan. They are told the, the general route in which they are to take, they are to go through the Negev, which is in the south of Israel, all the way into the north, into the hill country, hill country uh, at the north through the hill country. They are told what to examine. They are told to examine the land. They are told to examine the people. They are told to examine the cities, all uh, uh, the various and the various the states of those those uh, those uh, uh, subjects. They are furthermore told what to get. They are to make an effort to get some of the fruit of the land, and so that's their mission. But in, in verse twenty-one to twenty-six, we the twelve spies carry out this mission, and we read how they carry it out in verse twenty-one to twenty-six. So they went up <clears throat> and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob at Libo Hamath. When they had gone up into the Negev, they came to. Hebron, where Ahimon, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and from there they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole branch with a single cluster, a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. <clears throat> so we see these verses tell us how they carried out their mission. They, they were told to spy out the land from the south to the north, and they did that from the wilderness of Zin, which is in the south, all the way to the, to the north, which is a, uh, a place called Rehob at Libo Hamath, which is a, a way up in, in the northern part of Israel. And the, we are also furthermore told that in the Negev, which is the southern part of Israel, they came to a significant city named Hebron. We learn of the people... <clears throat> and we learn about this city of Hebron in quite significant detail for some particular reason. Uh, we, so we learn about its people, that there are, this is where the three clans of the descendants of, a, of someone named Anak lived. These were known as Anakim. These Anak, <clears throat> Anakim were known as great and tall people. They were a mighty people. Verse 33 tells us later that these Anakim, Anakim were descended from the Nephilim of Genesis 6-4 fame. We also learn of the city uh, that it was built that of that <clears throat> that was built that it was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, <clears throat> and so 
Zoan was another name for the city of Tanis. Tanis is in the eastern Nile Delta in Egypt. And so that being a significant city, the fact that this was built seven years before Zoan or, uh, indicates that this Hebron was an established city. It wasn't just a brand new city. It was an established city. And because it was a city, it was a fortified city. Its peoples and its fortifications had withstood enemy attacks for a long period of time. We're getting a picture here of this city of Hebron that they were uh, they tall and mighty people, but it's a fortified city. Last, <clears throat> and so they they saw this. They made these careful observations, examination of the city of Hebron. Lastly, the spies were told to get some of the fruit of the land, and so they pick out there in nearby in the valley of Eshcol. They pick out a cluster of grapes. Eshcol actually means cluster, along with some pomegranates and 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 figs. And it's this. <clears throat> apparently, this fruit is so so uh, so significant, so uh, of of significant size. You know, if you ever go to you know the store and buy those grapes, and you see these ginormous grapes, you're like, whoa! How do they make it so big? You know, you imagine a large cluster of grapes; it can get pretty heavy. And so, along with pomegranates and figs, they had to carry it on a pole, basically, because it was so much. It was truly a bountiful land. And so, they spying out the land took about forty days, as we read in the text. Forty days of spying out the land, they returned having accomplished their mission. They brought back word, and they brought back eyewitness to the bounty of the promised land. God had granted these men success in the mission. God had protected these men for 40 days in this land, surrounded by these kinds of people that they had seen. And God had allowed these 12 leaders of Israel to see with their own eyes the very land that God said he was going to give to the sons of Israel. The promised land was no longer just like, like, like for us. This was for 400 years, they had heard about the promised land, but they had never seen the promised land. It's like you and I being promised about heaven, but well, none of us have seen heaven. Well, these men had just seen the promised land for themselves, something they only heard about as children in the stories that their moms and dads and grandparents had told them. Now they saw it for their own eyes, and they saw for what it was, a land flowing with milk and honey. This was the very land that God was going to give to the sons of Israel. They saw the land, the people, and the cities of the promised land. God was going to give it all to them. What's more, the very mention of Hebron for the readers of this chapter later on, but even for us to our day, especially with the rest of the new, uh, uh, with uh, with the rest of scriptures, particularly, we understand this city of Hebron has a was a very significant city. It has a significant connection with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, we, uh, when Abram, in fact, split from Lot, and they had to divide because their families were too large. Lot chose the the valleys where Sodom and Gomorrah were. And Abram chose the hill country. He settled in Hebron. And he, there in Hebron, he built an, an altar to the Lord there. Sometimes the Hebron is called Mamre or Kiriath Arba. And uh, there, uh, and, and, <clears throat> and God, uh, Abraham lived and he worshiped the Lord on the, having built an altar. It was there in that same place in Hebron, according to Genesis 18, that the Lord appeared to Abraham, and after 
long, uh, 99 years of his life, told him that he would have his own a son. It would be born to him the following year. That son would be Isaac. It was there in Hebron, furthermore, that after uh, many years, Abraham's wife Sarah died. And instead of returning to Ur of Chaldees or to the city of Haran, he there purchased a plot of land. The first possession of Abraham's descendants of the promised land. He purchased it from one of the, the people who lived in the land. And there he buried his wife, Sarah. There Abraham also, when it was his turn to die, he was buried also in Hebron. There Isaac, his son, and Rebekah, Isaac's wife, they too lived in Hebron. And they died in Hebron and they were buried in Hebron. There Jacob and his first wife, Leah, lived and they too were buried in Hebron. It's all according to Genesis 49, 29, and 31. This was, in other words, ground zero for the beginnings of the promised land. Hebron was a place where they could see their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, <clears throat> Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Leah. They were all buried there. They could find their, their tombs, uh, hopefully after 400 years away. And, you know, when you, when you go back to the place, many sometimes are immigrants. And if you ever go back to the, the country where you had immigrated from, and then you go back to the very town where you, where you maybe you, you learn that, oh, my ancestors had come from this town. And you see, there are some probably you know, relatives there. But what you'll probably find is a lot of graves, cemeteries of people who were your forefathers and ancestors. And when you visit those places, there's a, there's a significance. There's a, there's a, there's a you, well, hopefully there's some kind of connection. These were where I, my people had come from. Ultimately, we all come out of, you know, out of, out, of, uh, out of the Garden of Eden, ultimately. But there's a, there's a significance. There's an there's a encouragement to remember our past. Remember the, the lives lived. And Hebron serves to do that. It serves to remind these people, these, these spies, as they spied on the land and they arrived at Hebron, they see everything, but they're meant to remember that these were where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived and worshiped and served the Lord and died and were buried. There was a serve to remind them of God's faithfulness in the past to his people, God's promises to his people. It ought to have strengthened the faith of the spies. If God's people are going to walk by faith, they must recall and reflect upon God's faithfulness to his people throughout history. And if they would remember the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they would remember God's faithfulness to them. And that would have, should have encouraged them to walk by faith and that he would be faithful to his promise to them as well. But sadly, most of the spies fail to see this. Instead, they see Hebron for, for what they see with their eyes, for the mighty people, for the, the mighty walls, the insurmountable obstacle that it is in their minds. So we observe thirdly from this passage, the spies communicate. Uh, uh, Check that. It should be spies communication. Communication, okay. Not commission, that's point two, but spies communication. 
So in these verses, 27 uh, through 33, through the rest of the chapter, uh, we find two different reports are given from these spies. One by the, there's the, by the majority, and then there's another by the minority, the minority report. One reflects walking by sight, the other reflects walking by faith. We read the majority report in verse 27 to 29 of chapter 13. Thus they told him, and so they're reporting to Moses and to Aaron, and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. The majority report here is, uh, reports that the land is fruitful. It is truly a land filled with milk and honey. It's a picture of bounty. But then in verse 28, beginning in verse 28, there's a strong adversative. It's translated as nevertheless. But, but, the people are strong. The cities are fortified. They're huge. We will never pass these walls. Just think of the wall of Jericho. The people are many, they say. Look at all the peoples that we listed. The Anakites, Amalekites, Hittites, Jembesites, and Amorites, and Canaanites. Oh, my. Seeing the promised land, seeing the, the, all that the Lord allowed them to see, and they only saw the obstacles in their way. That's the majority report. They walk by sight. It's easy. Uh, we're all good at it. We, we learn to make observations with our eyes. We, uh, and it's so easy to, just to, to make judgments simply by what we see. And they only saw the obstacles. And sometimes you and I only see the obstacles in our way. And we just stop. Because we're afraid or we just feel helpless. And we just can't get around it or above it or through it. But two of the spies have a minority report. They saw the same things. They tasted the same fruits. They saw the cities. They saw the people. They saw the cities, but they offered a different report. They saw, in verse 30, Caleb begins to answer for, um, on behalf of him and, and, uh, and Joseph, Joshua. Verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Caleb of the tribe of Judah speaks up like a leader and exhorts the people to go up and take possession of this land. He uses the terminology and words that God uses. This is a land which would be their possession. And so he said, let us go and take possession of the promised land. He is confident that they would overcome it. Instead of obstacles, he saw opportunity to overcome Despite his voice of courage and faith, the majority persists. We see that they persisted in verse 31 to 33. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out, it is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. 
There are all, there also, there also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. The spies give out a bad report. An evil report is what they give. They, they tell a report of lies. They lead the people down error. We're not able to fight the people, they say. They're too strong. They're giants like the Nephilim. We're like grasshoppers next to them. We can't do anything. And the bad report would, of course, as we'll see in chapter 14, will influence the people of Israel and lead them to further complaining. We're not going to continue that theme again. And what's more, rebellion against God. They're going to choose to do exactly opposite of what God wants them to do. God had allowed these spies to see and taste the very land that he had promised to them. The majority, however, responded with fear in what they saw. We can't overcome it. We can't overcome these obstacles. But the minority drew faith in what they saw. God has promised these things to us. We can overcome. Can you see the problem with the majority? That the majority's problem was not really with the land or or the peoples or the cities that were fortified. The problem was in their heart. It's always that's that's true for all of us. You know, it's going to be a running theme. It's, it's not a it's not a circumstantial problem for us. It's a spiritual problem. It's how we respond in our hearts to the circumstances of life, and it reveals our uh, uh, the trials reveal that in us, and they revealed in the hearts of these the ten spies a heart of a heart that was distrusting of the Lord. They had lacked faith. And their words even reflected a lack of faith in God. You see, often when the land is described, when the land, the promised land is described with a relative clause, it is often called the land that God promised or the the land that God is going to give to them. And we see that in in verse 2, in fact. But the majority here in the report never call it that. They don't say, oh, we went out and spied out the land which God has promised to us. We saw the land that God is going to give to us. Instead, they call it the land where you, Moses, sent to us, as if it was his fault. The land, in verse 32, the land through which we have gone. So we know because we've gone through it. We've seen it with our eyes. We would tell you it's, it's, this, it's an impossible land to conquer. The rewards reflect the dependence upon self, a leaning on their own, under, on own understanding, as Proverbs 3.5 terminology They forgot God's promise. They forgot God's power. They only saw how the peoples of the land were stronger than them, forgetting that God is stronger than all of them. Had he not delivered them from Pharaoh? Could he not do the same or more with the Canaanites? Absolutely. Caleb Caleb and Joshua, on the other hand, did not forget God's promise. He had promised that they would possess the land, So Caleb exhorted them to take possession of it. They did not forget God's power. The people are stronger than us. Yeah. But our God is stronger than them, and we shall overcome it. You see, the majority of the spies walked by sight, 
They saw the obstacles and concluded that nothing can be done. The remaining spies walked by faith. They saw the obstacles and looked to God. They remembered his faithfulness. They remembered his promise. They remembered his power. They concluded that with God, they will overcome. And the question for us as we kind of start getting to arriving at a conclusion is, what kind of person are you and I? When you face obstacles, do you see the obstacles? Or do they lead you to look to God? When you focus only on the obstacles, it will, the temptation will be to you to continue to walk by sight. But when you walk by faith, it will lead, when you look to God, it will help you to look, walk by faith. If God's people are going to walk by faith, they, you and I, must learn to look to God when obstacles arise before them. God allowed these, these spies to go into the land, right? He could just say, no, I'm not going to, no, I reject that request. He wants them to go see. And a lot of times God allows the obstacles in our not all the time, God allows obstacles in our lives. And his intention is not to, we say, no, I cannot handle the obstacles. I'm going to stop. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to quit. But he wants us to think about him in the face of the obstacles. What does he say to me? In light of the obstacle, what is his promise in the face of? Maybe he does want me to. If it's an obstacle of that of sin, temptation, maybe I should turn away. Yes, but perhaps there is an obstacle that he wants. Whether it's a, a disease, whether it's death of a loved one, an obstacle of difficulties at work, where he wants us to, de- to continue to lean upon him for the peace that he gives and only he can give. And to continue to trust as we walk ahead. Let me just wrap up. The words of this chapter serve to challenge that second generation of, uh, of Israelites before entering the promised land. Would they repeat the, fail- the, the failures of their parents' generation? Would they focus on the obstacles to the promised land? Or would they focus on the, the promiser of the promised land? Where they put their trust in him who has promised them this land that they had seen, that they had seen, where they walk by faith and not by sight. As a body of Christ today, we face obstacles all around us. As a nation, as a, as a world, we are facing this obstacle, the pandemic, that's lasting two years. Now, we've had plenty of opportunity to understand, to, accept, to see its impact on our lives, and especially in our church life. And there are obstacles. There are real obstacles, real risks, real challenges. They have been obstacles in, gather, in, in hindering us as a church in gathering together for worship, in gathering together for fellowship, in gathering together to witness. We cannot allow ourselves to focus on the obstacles. We must focus on God. You know, I wish I could tell many of you that if you come to worship, come to fellowship, if you come to here and serve in, in our witness, that you won't get sick. I wish I could tell you that when you come here, you, you won't face the risk of you or, or perhaps your loved ones who are frail of dying. I cannot promise that. God does not promise that. I wish I could tell you that. 
But I can tell you what God has promised you, what Jesus has promised you and me, that the Lord will be with us. The Lord will honor the gathering of his church by building his church. The Lord will guard and keep our souls. The Lord will make his grace sufficient. The Lord will not leave us nor forsake us. The Lord will grant us his peace. And much, much more are his promises. The Lord will bring us safely to where he has promised to take us. These are the promises of God that we can hold on to as we are living in this time of the obstacle of this pandemic. May you can, may I know many of you are already there. For those of you that are wrestling, may this encourage you to continue to walk by faith in God and not by sight. Remember his promises. Remember his power. Remember his faithfulness. And let us walk by faith, not by sight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your truths. Lord, in light of your, this passage, help us to be people who walk by faith. Lord, when we see the obstacles of life, whether personally or corporately, help us not to be fearful, to feel hopeless, but to respond in faith that you will be with us, that you are mightier than everything that we face, that your grace is more sufficient than when we ever need, that, Lord, you were promised to be with us and to take us safely to exactly where you have promised to bring us to. Lord, thank you for your, for thank you for this hope. And Lord, may you strengthen your people. May you strengthen this church and help this generation to wander in this world by faith until you take us home. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.